Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to episode 70, Missouri. Mizzou. Missouri. Love Missouri. Uh, today we're going to be discussing the, where did you come from, where did you go, where did you come from, Zombie Road. Zombie Road, yes. Then we're going to get into John Edward Robinson. His name is my name too. <laughs> also known as the internet's first serial killer. Never mind. <laughs> you don't want yeah, his name at all? No. <laughs> I don't well, want to be associated with any killers. That man over there who's not named John Edward Robinson nope. is my co-host James. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. What's going on, my brother? How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Um, let's get into the zombie road because um, it sounds like it's an attraction, like like those zombie runs, but I'm Kinda. hoping that it's not. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Kind of. Well, let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. As with all my stories, it's accessible. It's, it's a, a matter. Play, it's of fact, a place to go to. It's actually improved. Okay. Ooh. So okay. let me get into the story. Improved, you say? Yes. All improved right. from its original state. Okay. Let's hear it. All right. Two words, Road Warriors. Zombie Road. Where can you go wrong with Can't that? Can't go. Nope. Can't do it. Well, that has a much better kick to it than Lawler Ford Road when it was <laughs> built back in the 1860s. That's a terrible, right? a terrible name. Yeah. Horrible. Well, this week's point of interest is located in Willwood, formerly Ellisville, and Glencoe, and can be reached by taking Manchester Road out west of the city to Old State Road south. Sounds like country-ass direction. Yeah, it does. Go on out there to you see that old refrigerator in the ditch, then you take a left down there, and you go down and see that old rusty pickup truck, and then you hang a right, and then you go down past the hog farm. Now, if you done reach the chicken pen, you went too far. If you see a dead coyote, you took a wrong turn. Pretty much. Now, when you turn down Ridge Road to Ridge Meadows Elementary School, you will find the road just to the left of the school. Lovely. Zombie road right next to a school. You got to love it. Although for years it was marked with a sign, today only a chain gate marks the entrance. But fear not, or maybe you will, the location is accessible to the public for free. It cool. was originally established as a spur road to run alongside a river and the railroad tracks. Then it was abandoned. It was then reopened as a gravel road, but then fell into such a state of disrepair, it was graded over and paved where it now serves as a hiking and bicycle trail with a distance of 2.3 miles 
on a one-way loop. So, in other words, hmm. you can get about 4.6 miles out of it if you go end-to-end. Gotcha. There and back. Only problem is, it closes a mere 30 minutes after dark, or at least, I believe, they close the gate. Gotcha. Okay. But they don't, like, restrict access, but they close the gates. Okay. But, hey, you know, gates were made to climb over, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's the only reason they were made. There are no signs that I could find in my research telling folks to stay the hell out, so we are not going to. Open season, fools. But, James, you say, so far this just sounds like a boring, plain old backcountry road. Yeah, James, come on, man. That is partially correct. However, it does have very heavy woods, so thick that in some places light is scarce, even in the middle of the day. Mm. I like that. That's cool. This definitely adds to the creep factor, and we haven't even gotten to why they call it Zombie Road. No, we haven't. Let's get there. But now is a good time as any, wouldn't you say, bro? I would say so. (laughs) I can start by telling you that the name itself originated in the 1950s when it was said that there was a crazy man in the woods who lived in a shack. Do they ever live anywhere else? And would attack and kill, you guessed it, Young lovers looking for a place to do biological research. (laughs) Now, the cool thing about this was the fact that the killer was said to have been killed by a train but rose from the dead to take vengeance on the world by going after people alongside the road. That was interesting. Possibly a tale to scare off would-be fornicators. Not a, you know, not a ghost, but a zombie. Hence the name. Yeah, yeah. No. However, the history of the road began well before the name change. Huh. The area is said to be heavily haunted by Native American spirits, ghosts of Confederate soldiers, and even groups of child spirits. Ooh. Fact or fiction, the notoriety of this road has garnered it a place on the list of the 19 most haunted roads on Earth. On Earth? On Earth. On planet Earth? On planet Earth. Oh, shit. Okay. Not just the USA. Now, there were several train derailments, trackside deaths of hobos trying to jump the rail, and even one poor woman named Della Hamilton McCulloch, who was hit and killed in 1876, and since then, no other recorded train deaths in the area. But it is said her spirit does walk the tracks, and it is one of the primary spirits upon which the legend of the road was built. Cool. Around the 1940s, they tried to establish the area as a sort of resort community, but that failed, and the <laughs> abandoned buildings add to the creep factor. A lot of old yeah. houses and stuff. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Perhaps yeah. former residents who passed in the area come back to vacation. Or did they ever leave? <laughs> right? <laughs> nice. One very cool thing is that most of the area is left intact. Old rusty railroad bridges and even the restored train tracks at the end of the trail from the original line are still there. Straight up, folks, this is a gold mine for paranormal. This is a gold mine for paranormal investigation, and it is free. That's even better. That is great. That's the best thing of all. There is even a proposal on the table to build a looping tourist train that will ride on the original lines, which would be entirely too cool. You know, I think that'd be awesome. That'd be fun. A haunted train ride through the dense forest and next to a river that anyone into the paranormal knows, water is a great source of energy for spirits. Whether it is a ghost of a boy who fell from a bluff and manifests as a bright bluish white light, then vanishes as he approaches, an old woman yelling at you, you know, from the house, you know, <laughs> yelling <laughs> at you from lawn. one of the houses along the, along the trail from a window. 
you know, abandoned and all that, to the zombie killer himself, out looking to throw cold water on your good time, or the ghost of Della Hamilton McCullough walking through the middle of the tracks. This road is one that really seems worth visiting. However, you won't find a sign saying zombie road. Boring. <laughs> it is now called Rock Hollow Trail. That's I even lame. put in my notes, boring with about 12 O's. That's lame. Now, a little tiny bonus. Okay. I uh, That's pretty much the end of the, uh, the zombie trail story. All right. I was kind of disappointed in the lack of information I could find on it. Uh, all right. But I did find a little small bonus story to add to this week's entertainment. Cool. All right. <laughs> do it. Do it. This is called The Corpse Under the Bed. Okay. I like reading it like an idiot. The legend goes that a couple checked into a hotel and throughout the night noticed a strange odor. Oh, my God. Mm. They called the front desk to complain, only to find the source of the smell was something near or under the bed. Upon further examination, a dead body is found stuffed into the box spring. Yeesh. The couple had been sleeping over it all night long. Oh, that's that's bullshit. Wow. (laughs) The spookiest part of this story is that this has actually happened in a few places, including in Kansas City, the Missouri side. That's why it counts this week. Okay. The body of a man was found at the Capri Motel stuffed in the box springs yeah. in 2003. I thought that sounded familiar. I was like, I heard that before somewhere. Yeah, but that was just a little tidbit. I thought cool. I'd throw that in there yeah. for the heck of it. But yeah. So so we got we got um, Native American ghosts. Native American ghosts. Confederate ghosts. ghosts. We got kid uh, ghosts. Kid ghosts. We got ghosts of bums. And we got a ghost of a poor lady who wandered under the track. And what was her name? Uh, Delia. Delia Millicent. Della Hamilton... Millicent or Millicent? Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting name. But um, and then we got we got a, a crazy old man out there keeping kids from popping each other. Yes, yeah, Della Hamilton McCullough. Sorry, Della Hamilton McCullough. I had to go back to my that's, previous page. That's Sorry. a great name. Um, so we got we got a lot of ghosts out there, man. A lot of ghostesses. Yeah, a lot of ghosts. And then and the it, zombie killer dude. And then, yeah, the the crazy guy. Blue, blue, blue. Yeah, splashing cold water on people. Yeah. Yep. And then you've got the the abandoned uh, uh, houses or, or condos out there, which I'm sure look cool as hell. Yeah, I was trying to keep the show clean and not call him a cock blocking killer. Yeah, he is a cock blocking <laughs> killer. <laughs> so tonight's show is on the cock block killer and the internet killer. <laughs> oh, uh, man. That's cool. Yeah, man. Um, so uh, I hope that you, since you do the point of interest stories, I hope that you have a, a binder somewhere where you keep all of these these titles and these locations so that when we do finally do a road trip, we have a, a sort of a uh, checklist called, to do. It's called Google Drive. Uh, I'll have to go back yeah. in there and get them. Okay. Gotcha. But well, at least okay. we have them in there. Yeah. But we got them. We got them. We got them. All right, man. Well, why don't we go and take a break and then we'll get into a different kind of killer, one that's uh, not cock blocking. Yeah, no problem. John Edward Robinson, 
his name is not your name too, but nope. he is an American, obviously, serial killer, con man, embezzler, kidnapper, and forger who committed murders in and around Kansas City, Missouri between 1984 and 2000. So someone with a bit more longevity than uh, our last guy. Sounds like a dick. A total dick. I mean, these are all dicks. They're all, they're yeah. all complete assholes. Because he made contact with most of his post-1993 victims via online chat rooms, he is sometimes referred to as the Internet's first serial killer. I mean, who said? I mean, who said the Internet was the Internet was going to be a, was going to be a good thing? You know, never had no Yahoo chat. So he has, uh, <laughs> yeah. You remember Yahoo chat? Well, Yahoo Answers is a goldmine for bullshit. Oh, and it's, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, he has a total of eight victims. Uh, Lin- uh, Paula Godfrey. I keep wanting to say Linda Godfrey. That's not her, though. That's the, that's the werewolf lady. No, we keep werewolf lady out of it. Keep her alive. We'll, we'll see her next year, I hope. Uh, 1984, Paula Godfrey, whose remains had never been recovered. 1985, Lisa Sta- uh, Stacy, who or Stacy. 1985, Lisa Stacy, whose remains have never been recovered. That sucks. 1987, Catherine Clampett, whose remains have never been recovered. 1993, Beverly Bonner, remains discovered at a storage facility in Raymore, Missouri. 1994, Sheila Faith and Debbie Faith, remains of both discovered at storage facilities in Raymore, uh, Missouri. 1999, Isabella Lewicka, remains discovered at a Robinson's Ranch near Lasing, Kansas. Lasing? Lasing? L-A-C-Y-G-N-E. Hmm. Lasing? Probably should have looked that up. Lasing? Yeah. And 2000, Suzette Trotton remains discovered at the same ranch. So let's get into the um, the backstory of this piece of shit. Uh, Robinson was born in Cicero, Illinois, the third of five children to an alcoholic father and a disciplinarian mother. Theme. Theme. Good Lord. In 1957, he became an Eagle Scout and reportedly traveled to London with a group of scouts who performed before Queen Elizabeth II. Now that pisses me off. Why? Dishonoring the scouts. Why? I was a scout back oh. in the day. Oh, yeah, him? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. Later that year, he enrolled at Quigley Preparatory Seminary in Chicago, a private boys' school for aspir- aspiring priests, but dropped out after one year due to disciplinary issues. No, you don't say. Yeah. Gee, big surprise Stand-up guy like that? No. Shit. Come on, man. Surprise, surprise. In 1961, he enrolled in Morton Junior College in Cicero to become a medical x-ray technician, again dropping out after two years. In 1964, he moved to Kansas City and married Nancy Jo Lynch, and they had their first child, John Jr., in 1965, and fraternal twins, Christopher and Christine, in 1971. Poor Nancy Jo must have had some pretty low standards. She definitely, because this guy is not a looker. No. In 1969, he was arrested for the first time in Kansas City after embezzling $33,000 from the medical practice of Dr. Wallace Graham, where he worked as an x-ray technician, a job he had obtained using forged credentials. Because remember, he dropped out after two years. I have a feeling I'm going to hate this one as the last time we did uh, Missouri. Well, remember, we, Missouri last was season was a two-parter. Maniac. Yeah, the massage and That maniac. was a two-parter. Robert, was, what was Gross? Yes. Yes, Mr. Gross. Yeah, yes. he was a... What is it with you Missouri serial killers? You're all just (laughs) just colossal gross bags. Yeah. In 1970, Robinson violated probation by moving back to Chicago without his officer's permission or knowledge and took a job as an insurance salesman at R.B. Jones Company. Again, in 1971, he was arrested for embezzlement from that firm. 
and ordered back to Kansas City where his probation was extended. In 1975, it was extended again after another arrest, this time on charges of security fraud and mail fraud in connection with a phony quote-unquote medical consulting company he had formed in Kansas City. Good grief. During this period, Robinson cultivated and maintained the outward appearance of a personable, community-minded citizen and family man, much like Dennis Rader. He became a scoutmaster, baseball coach, and Sunday school teacher. Oh, you gotta love that. Mm-hmm. The trif- Get him near the kids. Yeah. The trifecta of creep. Yeah. In 1977, he talked his way onto the board of directors of a local charitable organization and forged a series of letters from its executive director to the mayor of Kansas City. This man is reaching yeah. for high, high yeah. goals, man. And from and from the mayor to other civic leaders, commending his generous volunteer efforts and generally singing his praises. This man, instead of actually, you know, the time it took him to actually do those, he probably just could have been good at his job. But, uh, yeah, back in those days, people's word was taken at its value. There was no such thing as background checks much and stuff like that. They just took somebody's word for it. I mean, there there was no computer system to run. You could shake a hand and and buy a car back then, you know? I mean, even driver's licenses weren't as complex as they are now. They're basically just laminated piece of paper. Yep. Eventually, he had himself named the organization's Man of the Year. How nice Had of him. himself. He nominated himself. What <laughs> and, a guy. And threw a festival awards luncheon in his own honor. This guy has the biggest ego and probably the smallest dick in the world. Yep. In 1979, Robinson finally <laughs> <laughs> completed probation. But by 1980, he was under arrest again on multiple charges, including embezzlement, check forgery, for which he served 60 days in jail in 1982. See, the problem is all that stuff nowadays is prison time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that that many times in that's, a row? I mean, that's like three or four times already. It's ridiculous. He formed a bogus hydroponics business and swindled a friend out of $25,000 who had hoped to receive a fast investment return to pay for his dying wife's health care. Hydroponic, mm-hmm. a.k.a. weed. Yeah, bro. Yeah. At this time, he reportedly began sexually propositioning many of his neighbor's wives, triggering triggering a fist fight with one of the husbands. Yeah, this guy's a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Gross was, man. It's almost the same kind of narcissistic prick. He also joined a secret sadomasochism cult called the International Council of Masters (laughs) and became its quote-unquote slave master. By the way, yeah, this this guy was also into uh, BDSM as well. Yeah. Whose duties included luring victims to be, <clears throat> whose duties included luring victims to gatherings to be tortured and raped by cult members. In 1984, after starting two more fraudulent shell companies, Equiplus and Equi2, Robinson hired Paula Godfrey, 19, ostensibly to work at a, as a sales rep. Godfrey told friends and family that Robinson was sending her away for training. After hearing nothing further from her. Godfrey's parents filed a missing persons report. Police questioned Robinson, who denied any knowledge of her whereabouts. Of course. Several days later, they received a typewritten letter, (laughs) of course, with Godfrey's signature at the bottom, stating that she was thankful for Robinson's help, that she was okay, and that she did not want to see her family. Was the T, like, raised slightly? Well, the, oddly enough... I I mean, does anybody know where that jab comes from? No. It comes from the movie Jagged Edge. That's how they caught the killer. Jagged Edge, what was that? That was Jeff Bridges and uh, Glenn Close. No, I never saw it. It was a killer. It was a movie about a killer, a serial okay. killer. And okay. when he would send letters, he used this old typewriter, this old Hamilton typewriter. Uh-huh. And when he would use it, 
the T was always screwed up, so it raised it. So that's how they found it. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry, sidebar. No, no, no. But um, <laughs> the thing was that the signature on the letter was in fact Godfrey's. Oh. Yeah. So it matched perfectly. So they had uh, no idea. They had no idea of any wrongdoing. As a matter of fact, the investigation was terminated, as Godfrey was of legal age, and there was no evidence of wrongdoing, and no trace of Paul Godfrey has ever been found. That sucks. 1985, Robinson, using the name John Osborne, met Lisa Stacy and her four-month-old daughter Tiffany at the Battered Women's Shelter in Kansas City. He promised her a job in Chicago, an apartment, and daycare for her baby, and asked her to sign several sheets of blank stationery. Don't ever do that, ever. Mm-mm. Ever. Mm-mm. A few days later, Robinson contacted his brother and sister-in-law, who had been unable to adopt the baby through traditional channels and informed them that he knew of a baby whose mother had committed suicide. For a fee of $5,500 to an imaginary lawyer, Don and Helen Robinson received Tiffany Stacy, whose identity was confirmed by DNA testing in 2000, and a set of authentic appearing adoption papers with the forged signatures of two judges and a lawyer. Oh, good lord. Lisa Stacy was never heard from again. So not only did he kidnap her and kill her, he took her baby and they and gave they it legally, to his brother and they legally and had quote his unquote legally adopted. and then charged his brother fifty five hundred dollars for taking in a kidnapped baby. Boy, this that he guy, didn't know of. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Yeah, Missouri's this that <laughs> All, all jokes aside, this this guy is pissing me off. Hopefully, our next go round will be a lot less um, shitty. Let's go with a UFO next time. Yeah, I something. think I, there's got to be some in there somewhere. <laughs> in 1987, Catherine Clampett, 27, left her child with her parents in Wichita Falls, Texas, and moved to Kansas City to find employment. She was hired by Robinson, who reportedly promised her extensive traveling and a new wardrobe, but she vanished in June of that year. Her missing persons case remains open. Hmm. From 1987 to 93, Robinson was incarcerated first in Kansas from 87 to 91 on multiple fraud convictions and thereafter in Missouri for another fraud conviction and parole violations. At Western Missouri Correctional Facility, he met and ingratiated himself with 49-year-old Beverly Bonner, the prison librarian, who, upon his release, left her husband and moved to Kansas to work for him. Oh, good God. After Robinson arranged for Bonner's alimony checks to be forwarded to a Kansas post office box, her family never heard from her again. Of course, because if they had an actual address, they'd have a place to go, right? Exactly. For several years, Bonner's mother continued forwarding her checks, and Robinson continued cashing them. Jeez. By now, Robinson had discovered the internet and roamed various social networking sites using the name, quote-unquote, Slave Master. Here's a uh, hint, folks. Back in the day, there was no Facebook. There was no FaceTime or whatever they call MySpace or crap. There was AOL, but before that, the the infancy of the quote-unquote social media age were called bulletin boards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People would would actually talk to people on their own computers. I Mm -hmm. mean, they would host boards on their own home computers and stuff. There were no servers out there. Right. That was uh, pretty, uh, pretty risky, actually. Yeah. And, and back then, because it was so new, people um, a lot of times were more opt to use their real name because they weren't. Sure. They weren't, it, it wasn't the crazy fucking psycho mess it is now. Exactly. Um, looking for women who enjoyed playing the submissive partner role during sex. 
The first victim he met online was Sheila Faith, 45, whose 15-year-old daughter Debbie was confined to a wheelchair due to spinal bifida. He portrayed himself as a wealthy man who would support them, pay for Debbie's therapy, and give Sheila a job. What? He lied on the internet about who he was and how much money he makes and how he looks? I've never heard of that happening. I've never heard of that. Never. Man, the dishonesty. Don't you have to like click a box saying you're honest? This is yeah. who you really are when you sign up the internet? Golly, man. In 1984, they moved from Fullerton, California to Kansas City and immediately disappeared. Robinson cashed Faith's pension checks for the next seven years. How? Again. You know, that really, that's, that's how. It's the 90s. Again, it's 90s. It's uh, uh, Everything's still pure paper. There's hardly any actual like full-on computer systems and, and software yeah, going on. So, this is true. I mean, it's not as instant as it is now. People are still using checks back then and not like checks where they, they scan them automatically and pull from your account. They use checks where they just they write them and then deposit them. and then Exactly. Yeah. I think it was 94. They were still using the, the credit card. Uh, they must have had to mail them in or something for deposit because probably as far as I know, mm-hmm. they always ask for ID when you make deposits. It's got to be. I yeah. mean, I hate to keep straying from the subject, but I'm wondering no. how in the hell this guy is getting away with this stuff. Probably, like you said, through mailing. You know, it's that's nuts. Gradually, Robinson became well-known in increasingly popular BDSM online chat rooms. In 1999, he offered Isabella Lewicka a 21-year-old Polish immigrant living in Indiana, a job and a bondage relationship. Gee, sign me up. Mm. When she moved to Kansas City, the still-married Robinson gave her an engagement ring and brought her to the county registrar where they paid for a marriage license that was never picked up. I wonder why. Mm. It's unclear whether Lewicka believes she and Robinson were married, but she told her parents she had married, but never told them her husband's name. She did, however, sign a 115-item slave contract that gave Robinson almost total control over every aspect of her life, including her bank accounts. Yipe. And she fell for that shit. She fell for that stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, again, chat rooms and boards are still infancy. You know, it takes all kinds. I get it. You know, there's all kinds of relationships out there and things that people do, but I just can't... Total control over one's life. If you can't find who you're looking for in your own city, and all of a sudden this stranger from across the country, I'm not going to be naive and say I've never heard of that before. I have heard of very controlling situations before, yeah. in several situations. That's just how it comes to be. It just still boggles my mind. You know, during the summer of 1999, she disappeared. Robinson told a web designer he employed that she had been caught smoking marijuana and deported. Oh damn! About the time the wicked disappeared. Robinson convinced a lonely licensed practical nurse by day and submissive slave by night named Susie Trotton to move from Michigan to Kansas so they could travel the world together. Trotton's mother received several typed letters purportedly mailed while the couple was abroad, although the envelopes were stamped with Kansas City postmarks, interestingly. (laughs) (laughs) But yet, we're in France. Yeah. (laughs) But here. Um, And the letters were, her mother said, uncharacteristically mistaken free so apparently she wasn't you know good at writing letters or good at grammar like you know i mean you and i are are such perfect grammar this is too smart this can't be my daughter (laughs) later robinson told trotton's mother she had run off with an acquaintance after stealing money from him like many other serial killers robinson became increasingly careless over time and did a progressively poor job of covering his tracks 
and probably was doing it, like you said, more and more frequently. I know we've covered a lot of serial killers, and they tend to start killing more frequently as they get bold. As they they start getting bold, like you mm-hmm. said, as I they can't catch me. My mo is slick. Nobody's right. going to catch up to me. Uh huh. By 1999, he had attracted the attention of authorities in both Kansas and Missouri, as his name cropped up in more and more missing persons investigations. Aha! You sorry son of a. Robinson was arrested in June 2000 at his farm near Lessing. I think it's Lessing. Anyway, I'm sure. I'm sure people will say it's Lessing. Lessing. I think it might be Lessing. L A space C Y G N E. Lessing. Lessing. Well, anyway, um, listeners, okay. listeners in Missouri, please correct me. Thank Help you. Help us out. Yeah, Kansas or Kansas, either one. After two women filed sexual battery complaints against him. A task force searching the premises found the decaying bodies of two women, later identified as Isabella Lewicka and Suzette Troughton, in two 85-pound chemical drums. Holy crap. And God knows they've been in there for how long? Um, I mean, that was that 2000. Was yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she had, been, she had been gone. I mean, Troughton, at the very least, uh, had been gone about a year, about oh, a year man. or so. so. I mean, that's a long time in, in yeah, a drum. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, across the state line in Missouri, other members of the task force searching a storage facility where Robinson rented two garages found three similar chemical drums containing corpses subsequently identified as Beverly Bonner and Sheila and Debbie Faith. Hence the bodies never found kind of things. I mean, actually, there are still some of his victims that still aren't found. Some are still found, yet, right, yeah. but these ones have been found. All five women were killed in the same way by one or two blows to the head. In 2002... Robinson was sentenced to death in Kansas for the murders of Troughton and Lewicka and life imprisonment for killing Stacy because she had been murdered before Kansas reinstated the death penalty. Is he still on death row? Because I'd love to go up there and be the one to pull the lever. He is, yeah. Robinson could become the first convict executed by lethal injection in the state of Kansas. Now, Robinson simultaneously faced a complex legal dilemma in Missouri where prosecutors were actively pursuing additional murder charges based on the evidence discovered in that state. Robinson's attorneys opposed his extradition because Missouri is far more aggressive in capital punishment than Kansas. Yes. Which has yet to execute anyone since reinstating this death penalty statute. However, Chris Coster, the Missouri prosecutor, insisted as a condition of any plea bargain that Robinson led authorities to the bodies of Lisa Stacy, Paula Godfrey, and Catherine Clampett. But, since doing so, would have constituted a tacit admission of guilt which could have been used against him in Kansas, Robinson has refused. Mm. Coster, on the other hand, faced pressure to make a deal because his case was not technically airtight. Among other issues, there was no unequivocal evidence that any of the murders had actually been committed within Coster's jurisdiction. When it became clear that the women's remains would never be found without Robinson's cooperation, a compromise of sorts was reached. In a carefully scripted plea, in October of 2003. <laughs> Robinson acknowledged only that Coster had enough evidence to convict him of capital murder for the deaths of Godfrey, Clampett, Bonner, and the Faiths, though his statement was technically a guilty plea and was accepted as such by the Missouri court. It was notably devoid of any contrition or specific acceptance of responsibility. Robinson currently remains on death row in Kansas and is 78 today. Question answered. 
In 2005, Nancy Robinson filed for divorce after 41 years of marriage, citing incompatibility and irreconcilable differences, which, um, to say the least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My husband's a serial killer. I don't think I want to stay with him anymore. (laughs) It's definitely incompatible for me. Can I go now? Yeah. In 2006, Lisa Stacy's daughter, the one he adopted to her Mm -hmm. brother, who, since her adoption, was known as Heather Robinson, filed a civil suit against Truman Medical Center in Kansas City and social worker Karen Gaddis, contending that Gaddis had told John Robinson about Stacy and her newborn daughter in 1984 after he told her he was looking for for women for his fictional home for, quote-unquote, unwed mothers of white babies. In 2007, Heather Robinson and the hospital reached a settlement for an undisclosed sum which Robinson said she would split with her biological grandmother, Patricia Sylvester. Now, last but not least, the trial also spawned a number of email and now Second Life hoaxes, with web users warned first against the usernames Slave Master, Sweet Cali Guy Forever, I'm a Hustler Baby, Free Muami 911, Monkey Man 935, Rock Hard Abs, and most recently, Dream Weaver Gray. Oh, the email usually looks something like this. Subject, from the state police, not a joke. Please read this. State police warning for online. Warning from the state police. Okay, at that, at that point, there's that many warnings. It's, it's yeah. yeah. USA, not a joke. If it says not a joke twice, it's a joke. It's a joke, yeah. State police warning for online. Again, another state police warning. Yep. Please read this, quote unquote, very carefully. Then send it out to all people online that you know. Something <laughs> like this is nothing to be taken casually. This is something you do want to pay attention to. Think of it as a bit of advice, too. If a person with the screen name of MonkeyMan935 contacts you, do not reply. Do not talk to this person. Do not answer any of his or her instant messages or email. Whoever this person may be, he, she is a suspect for murder in the death of 56 women so far contacted through the Internet. Please send this to all women on your buddy list and ask them to pass this on as well. This screen name was seen on Yahoo, AOL, AIM, and Excite so far. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. Please send this to men too, just in case. Oh, Lord. <laughs> send to everyone you know. Ladies, this is serious. Of course it is. And that is the story of the internet's first serial killer. What a bastard. What a piece of And I hate the fact that he's still alive. Shit. 78. Milking the, the, the government, the federal government for its money. The damn its government. resources. And just living the high life in prison, man. Like I said, I, I'd be happy to uh, take on a new role in life, new job. I'd, I'd, I'd gladly be a death row I would go executioner. Go I from would, prison to prison. I'd be glad to pull the levers or do whatever. I'd definitely like to uh, yeah. squeeze one of the syringes. And I'm not the, saying uh, that is to be just stupid. I, I seriously despise people like that. They don't deserve to be... Taking you know, care living of off, uh, living off American tax dollars right. for decades. Getting three squares a day. Three squares and a nice little place. No no real punishment for his crime. I'm hoping that he's been beaten. He's probably in solitary confinement. Somebody like that, usually a rapist. They don't killer. put in general pop. Then again, yeah, if he's a serial killer, he, he probably got him in the psycho ward of the hospital. Probably, Keep him yeah. isolated and shit. That's just too bad. It is too bad. You know, I'd like him to get domered. You know, oh, put yeah. him in general population, let him get beat to death with mob handles or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know you and I, um, while you and I go apply to be the new executioners for Missouri, yep. 
why don't you tell the folks where they can go to find more content from us? Absolutely. Folks, if you'd like to support the show, just go to www.patreon.com forward slash state of fear. We have one level. It's called the Road Warrior. It's seven bucks a month. It gives you access to all the goodies, the ad-free episodes, the early access. We have commentary tracks. We have reviews of stuff we've done. And, of course, we have bloopers, and there will be other bonus material as we go. We're going to be filming all kinds of videos in the future, projects, things we're going to do. We're just getting started here. Oh, yeah. So jump on board. Uh, Even if you don't like it for a month, it's a month, $7, you're done. Seven bucks, you can cancel. Yeah, we won't take it, you know, we won't take it, you know, bad. No. And we uh, we just appreciate any support. If seven bucks is too much, go to go to our buy me a coffee. You can give us, you know, a dollar to uh, help us out. Anything helps us out and we appreciate it very much. Absolutely. All right, man, we're about to head out of here. What, uh, where's the day we heading next, brother? (sighs) We are going south to the penis of America, <laughs> also known say that. as Florida. Ah, we are heading to Florida. Yes. Fantastic. Flow rider. Well, I mean, at least we can get some good food there. Yep. All right, man, let's head out. All right, brother.